Hello, and welcome to the second iteration of The Challenge Flag, where we put your season under review. I'm your host and co-commissioner, RJ Beecher. Alongside me is my other co-commissioner, Blake Watson. Hey, RJ. How good does it feel to finally have football back? It feels amazing. My depression is at an all-time high, but that's thanks to fantasy football and not the exciting and electric week one slate we had this week. Before we get into the meat of this week's podcast, I'm going to pass things over to Blake with a quick disclaimer over what our content is going to be this week. We just want to give you guys a little bit of a biased disclaimer. We will be talking about many different individual fantasy players that may or may not be on your rosters. Our stats and opinions are shared for the purpose of being an entertaining and worthwhile podcast. Our analysis is in no way intended to affect the stock of any individual players on your team, nor is it intended to sabotage any sort of trade negotiations or weekly matchups. The opinions expressed in this show are opinions of the hosts and the hosts alone. We strongly encourage you all to form your own opinions and draw your own conclusions. Thank you, Blake, for that. We're going to go ahead and jump into a quick week one recap. So for the matchups this week, we had the Ghost Commissioner against the Creekhaven Comeback Kids, with the Creekhaven Comeback Kids taking this one with a 147.2 to 119.54. Our next matchup was Defense Wins Championships, which I think should be more aptly named as Two Defenses Wins Championships, against Robin's Birds. Robin's Birds took this one 148.4 to 142.4 in what was a great matchup. However, it was not nearly as good as our game of the week, which was Team Drew K7 against Risky Business Inc. Drew snuck this one out with a 130.6 to 130.12 in what is going to be potentially the most heartbreaking loss of the entire season. Yeah, you got to feel bad for Chris in that one. Not even a a one-point loss. One reception makes or breaks the difference, and I'm sure that injury didn't help. We'll be hoping for somewhat greener pastures for Chris this week, except I'll be definitely rooting for him to take another L. Hopefully it's just not as heartbreaking. Next matchup we have was Waffle House Bankruptcy against Team Breezeless. This one was not quite as close as the last one with a 137.88 to 98.58 in favor of Michael. And our last matchup, again, a little bit more on the lopsided and actually the most lopsided loss of the week was Commissioner's Curse against Team E.T. Woods. Blake walked away with this one with a 142.48 to 91.98 final score. That is your week one recap. And now we will be jumping into our next segment, which is our overreactions of the week. I'll pass things over to Blake for his first overreaction. This overreactions of the week segment is going to focus on the week one overreactions where people blow things way out of proportion because they haven't been watching football for nine months. And finally, they get some football on their screen and it doesn't look exactly like they had expected and they start losing their minds. So we're here to either calm some nerves or suppress some hype on players who probably don't deserve whatever criticism or praise that they are receiving at this point. And the first one that I want to jump into is perhaps the most egregious take that I've heard over the past week, and that's that Christian McCaffrey is not a top five running back in fantasy anymore. Look, I understand Christian McCaffrey did not have the best week for where you drafted him, but he didn't have anything to scoff at. This is a week one loss to the Browns. It's his first game with Baker Mayfield. 
He's returning from an injury, and I assume Carolina is probably wanting to ease him back into his role instead of giving him the full workload that he got injured with the past two seasons. Now, that being said, when someone asked Matt Rule about Christian McCaffrey's role over the offseason, he responded with one word, and that was workhorse. So I want to give you guys a little bit of a breakdown between Christian McCaffrey's week one game versus the Browns versus the rest of his career. So in week one, his rushing stats were 10 attempts for 3.3 yards per attempt. Compare this career, his career average is 14 attempts per game for 4.6 yards per attempt. That's a 29% decrease in his attempts per game and a 28% decrease in his yards per attempt. Now, you can also look at his receiving stats, which in a PPR league are incredibly valuable and kind of what sets Christian McCaffrey apart from many of the other running backs in the league. His week one reception totals were four targets, and he had six yards per reception, whereas over the course of his career, he's averaged eight targets a game. And for all of his receptions, he averages 8.4 yards per reception. That's a 50% decrease in his targets for this week one matchup and a 29% decrease in yards per reception. That doesn't really sound like workhorse volume to me, and it's definitely not the same efficiency that we've come to expect from Christian McCaffrey. I think you can expect some regression to the mean here. For those of you that don't know what regression to the mean is, all players inherently have some sort of average that they either exceed every week or that they fall short of every week. But at the end of the day, over the course of 16, 17, however many games you want to take a sample size for, they'll probably average back out to whatever average we've come to expect. So if Christian McCaffrey underperformed by 29% in rushing attempts and 50% in targets and 29% in his efficiency for both of those metrics, then I think we can expect that even if he doesn't necessarily exceed his average expectations, we'll see a better performance than we saw this past week. I don't think he'll be three quarters of himself in both volume and efficiency for the rest of the season. Also, the last note I want to make, Matt Rule is coaching for his job in Carolina. And really the best bet to keep him afloat and keep him the head coach is to give the ball to Christian McCaffrey. You put the ball in the hands of your best player, and that's Christian McCaffrey without a doubt. It's definitely good for football when Christian McCaffrey is playing and producing. My first overreaction of the week here is very similar to Blake, your first one. And that overreaction is that father time has finally caught up with Derrick Henry. So much like McCaffrey, Henry is coming off a major injury last year. He went out October 31st of last year. He missed nine regular season games. And then he came back during the Titans playoff loss to the Bengals in what was a really quick turnaround for the injury that he had. That game looked really bad for Derek. He had 20 carries for 62 yards, which is a 3.1 yards per carry. Albeit he did have a touchdown. But I tell you this to give some context that Derek really has not played much meaningful football since that injury. So when we look at his week one loss to the Giants, he had 21 carries for 82 yards, which is 3.9 yards per attempt, but he still received 88% of the carries and the Titans only finished with 93 rushing yards as a team. So Derek's production was not just on him, right? The Titans looked 
a little bit disjointed altogether. And it wasn't like Ryan Tannehill was lighting the Giants' pass defense on fire. He completed 20 passes for 266 yards and two touchdowns, which is a pretty efficient clip. But 20 completions isn't that great. I read into these numbers and I think, okay, this just seems like it was maybe the week one rust and Henry getting back up to speed. Some additional information here that I think is really interesting. During the 2020 season, Henry started with 56 carries for 200 yards, which was 3.6 yards per attempt, which you'll notice is less than he had during week one of this year. That was the year that Derek went on to finish with 378 carries for 2,027 yards, which is a 5.6 yards per attempt with 17 touchdowns and was the PPR running back three and the standard running back one. Overall, these games are not uncommon for a player like Derrick Henry. He is notoriously a standard format running back. He doesn't catch a lot of passes. So his floor is a bit, little bit lower than a guy like maybe Austin Eckler or McCaffrey. Now, last year, Henry was viewed as a league winner up until his injury. But that still came with a week one where he had 17 carries for 58 yards and a 29 carry game for 86 yards. So don't panic on Derrick Henry. He just heats up as he goes. He's, he's always the type of person that's when the weather turns cold, that's when Henry's at his best. It's not time to panic on him quite yet. And I think something important that you noted is that Derrick Henry, he's not necessarily known for being a PPR monster. He never has been. Where he's always had his production has always been in the games where he's had two or three long breakaway runs. We're talking 20-plus yards. Last game, he only averaged 3.9 yards per attempt. I don't think that that's something that you can come to expect from Derrick Henry. So I think you make some really good points, RJ. And and I wouldn't panic on Derrick Henry just yet. I think if people are comparing him to the stretch of games he had last year, that might be a little bit unreasonable. Derrick Henry was superhuman, I would say, in those games. And that's not quite the ceiling that you should expect from Derrick Henry, but I can guarantee you that his floor is higher than what he showed us in week one. I'm going to go ahead and jump into my second overreaction of the week. I never really thought I'd find myself taking the side of this team and this unit in particular, but I think people are a little too down on the San Francisco 49ers offense. Look, I know that San Francisco just lost to the Chicago Bears. Let's remember, the Chicago Bears don't have Matt Nagy anymore. And they played practically in a monsoon. So you look at the fancy players that you expected to perform well. You had Trey Lance, you had Debo Samuel, you had Brandon Ayuk and Elijah Mitchell. Well, Elijah Mitchell got hurt for one. Number two, Trey Lance was never going to have a good passing day especially when it was raining like this, but people didn't expect him to come out and be a gunslinger. A lot of the argument is, well, it was a rainy day. It was bad weather. Bad weather means good run game. Not really. If you're swimming, you're not running real well. So bad weather doesn't always equate to a good running game. Trey Lance lost his running back one, and he didn't have his safety blanket or presumed safety blanket in George Kittle. Before we get on Trey Lance for his 9.96 fantasy point output, let's consider that he still has a lot of room for improvement and that this game is probably going to be an outlier compared to the rest of the season. That being said, he went 13 for 28, which is 46% of his passes were completed. He had 164 yards through the air, zero touchdowns, one interception. His rushing stats, this might be a little promising, was 13 for 54 yards, 
even though he had one fumble and his long was only 13 yards. Again, the fact that he only had 54 yards, I think, is something that you should look at and maybe not take too much away from that. I think the important statistic here is that he rushed the ball 13 times, and that's exactly what we're looking for for a solid fantasy quarterback. As for his receiving core, Debo Samuel had 12.6 fantasy points. Brandon Ayuk only had 6.7 fantasy points. And Juwan Jennings had 10.2 fantasy points. Brandon Ayuk fantasy owners might be looking at this and going, whoa, where'd Juwan Jennings come from? Why is he taking production Brandon Ayuk? Before you freak out too much, let me read you a breakdown of the snap percentages for all the receivers. Debo Samuel had 82% of the snaps. Juwan Jennings was in on only 60% of the snaps. Brandon Ayuk was in on 99% of the San Francisco 49ers snaps. That means he missed one snap the entire game. He was out there more than any other receiver. So I would not be too tilted on Brandon Ayuk and his lackluster fantasy performance. The passing game for both the Bears and the Niners in that game isn't probably what we should expect for the rest of the season. So I'd give it another week before you make any decisions on your 49ers players. What do you think about the Niners, RJ? I agree with all the points you laid out here, Blake. It's hard to evaluate either of these teams considering the weather. As someone who put a lot of stock into Brandon Ayuk being their flex last year, this is so different compared to that that situation. A 99% snap share is awesome. He, I believe we can officially label him as out of the Kyle Shanahan doghouse. That's a really encouraging sign for me. It's also encouraging to see that Debo put up 12.6 fantasy points despite the horrible weather. I agree. I, it's just too soon to panic on any of these guys. Let's let them have a good environment, a good clean game, and see what we get out of that before we start jumping to conclusions here. All right, well, we're going to move on to my next overreaction. And for many of you who watched the kickoff game, this one might be at the forefront of your mind. But the overreaction is that the Los Angeles Rams offense is bad. And it certainly looked bad Thursday night. So for some context here, the Rams offensive line gave up seven sacks, four hits, and 13 hurries, and 50 offensive snaps per pro football focus. That was a 48% pressure rate, and it is the Rams' seventh worst mark since 2016. Because of that constant pressure, my evaluation is that Stafford's mistakes look very mental, not physical, which would be, of course, the elbow injury that we were all a little concerned of heading into the year. There were times where it maybe looked like he wasn't making the throws he's used to, but what I saw out of Stafford was that he was under constant pressure from his offensive line being terrible. And the fact that the, the Bills defensive line looked pretty good. They were ranked as the 13th best unit heading into the season. And I think Von Miller showed us that he's got a little bit more in the tank and probably deserved a little bit more credit. When you factor that in with Rousseau and at Oliver, there was a lot of pressure on Stafford that night and his offensive line didn't bail him out at all. So when I watched Stafford, what I saw was hyper targeting of Cooper Cup, which as a Cooper Cup owner, you, you've got to be content with. But as Sean McVay, you've got to be a little frustrated with because that's not how football works. Your progression system doesn't go Cooper Cup. Okay, he's not open. Let's look at Tyler Higby. Okay, he's not open. Let's look at Skoranowicz or whatever his last name is. Okay, he's not open. Let's look at Allen Robinson. Every play has a first read, a second read, a third read, 
And I don't believe Stafford was in the mental place to do that. I think he, his first read was always Cooper cup and that's not how it should be. I, I, a lot of this is to appease me as an Allen Robinson owner. I think there are greener pastures ahead for him. I think there's greener pastures ahead for the running backs. I think there's greener pastures ahead for Higby or anyone else. Stafford's going to have to take a step back here and really evaluate his performance and realize that he probably had the Super Bowl hangover that we all are used to seeing from the loser of Super Bowls. But some additional information here. Sean McVay is a good head coach. He's a really good head coach. Since he took over for the Rams, he has never won less than nine games as a head coach. That was the only season he missed the playoffs. And for the majority of his seasons coaching, his quarterback was Jared Goff. There's no reason to panic right now. Sean McVay is a genius. He's going to evaluate this. If anyone's going to make drastic adjustments heading into this week, I am most confident in Sean McVay doing it. And he has the perfect opportunity to go and do that against the Falcons as their next matchup. Jameis Winston, who is a decent NFL quarterback, but certainly not an elite NFL quarterback, just posted 23 out of 34 for 269 yards, two touchdowns, and zero interceptions against the Falcons. This is the perfect opportunity for the Rams to get back on track and to assuage a lot of the concerns that many NFL fans had coming out of Thursday of last week. Yeah, RJ, I, I think you make some really good points. I definitely don't think that we can expect the Rams offense to look this bad for the rest of the season. And I think people don't give enough credit to that Bills defense because last year they got into a shootout with the Kansas City Chiefs. And I mean, I think anyone that goes up against Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey, that's the only way you can win. But that that defense is stout. That defense is really good. I do have a question for you, though, is – we don't want to overreact to these players, but how many players do you think are really actually viable in that Los Angeles Rams offense? Obviously, you have Matthew Stafford and you have Cooper Cup, and one of the running backs is going to emerge, whether what we saw from Cam Akers being a fluke and he emerges as the running back one or Darrell Henderson is going to be a viable starter for fantasy owners. But outside of the quarterback, Cooper Cup, and whichever running back takes the lead role, how many other viable starters are there on this team? It's a great question. Higby posted good numbers on Thursday, but Higby has been around this offense for a long time, and he's never really been a fantasy-relevant player. I wouldn't expect that to change this year. The Rams didn't go pay Allen Robinson all of this money to only receive two targets. I believe that's going to be a point of emphasis for Sean McVay this week. I think he's going to be in Matthew Stafford's ear I believe Allen Robinson will be fantasy relevant. He may not reach the heights that many of us hoped he would, but I think he's going to end up being a solid wide receiver too, or a reliable flex week in and week out. I do have a little bit more hesitance on the running back situation. I know it was very unusual to see Cam Akers just get, a, I think it was just two carries, but I think part of that is the injury. I think part of that is that he didn't look great in the playoffs McVeigh has said he wanted a timeshare. He said some motivating things to Acres. I think there's a good chance that we end up seeing more of a 60-40 split in favor of Henderson, but I wouldn't overreact to Acres quite yet. This might have been an outlier. It, it, in a lot of ways, it reminds me of the Brandon Ayuk game from last year where people thought he was going to be great going into the game, and then he just I, – I think he was out there for one or two snaps. 
So we'll have to see how that develops. Ayuk was a fantasy relevant player at the end of the year there after he kind of worked his way out of the doghouse. That might be a similar situation with Akers, but I would label Akers as a hold right now, in my opinion. I know we'll get into a little bit more detail on him later, though. All right. Well, I'm going to jump into my third and final overreaction for the week. And I really hope that you guys are listening loud and clear to this one. While it's easy to overreact negatively, it is so much easier in fantasy football to overreact positively to players, to go and claim players off of a one-week performance and then they let you down for the rest of the year. And that's why I want to tell you, use caution when investing in the Kansas City offense. Look, guys, I know the Kansas City offense just hung 44 points on the Arizona Cardinals. I get it. That's awesome. The Kansas City Chiefs have been great on offense since Patrick Mahomes has touched the football in Kansas City. And they'll continue to be a great offense. They'll continue to be a great team. Andy Reid is an offensive genius. But here's something I want to point out about that week one game. Arizona has a whole defense. I mean, horrible. Last year, over a five-game stretch, they finished as the defense 20 against the Los Angeles Rams the defense 18 on the week against the Detroit Lions, the defense 21 on the week against the Colts, the defense 18 on the week against Dallas, and the defense 13 against Seattle. Not a top 10 finish to end the entire season. Over the the course of that stretch, opposing quarterbacks averaged over 22 fantasy points a game. We're not just talking about the Josh Allens of the world. We're not talking about the Jalen Hurts of the world. We're talking about Jared Goff. We're talking about Carson Wentz. I mean, these are not world beaters, guys. And they were hanging 22 points on this Arizona defense. Now, I get it. Patrick Mahomes didn't score 22 points. He scored 35 points, and that's something that only an elite quarterback can do. But I don't think 35 points is something that you should expect week in and week out from Patrick Mahomes. I think that it's a combination of being an elite quarterback combined with playing against the 31st ranked secondary in the entire National Football League. I gave you the rundown of the the defensive finishes for Arizona last year. Let me point out, since defensive finishes, they've lost their starting linebacker, Jordan Hicks, to the Minnesota Vikings. They lost Chandler Jones to Las Vegas. And J.J. Watt has been injured. So this Cardinals defense didn't get any better since last year, guys. I think Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey will light the fantasy world on fire this year. Again, 35 points a game for Patrick Mahomes is a little unreasonable. But those two, you feel very, very confident and very excited about starting each and every week. Outside of that, I think it's a guessing game. I know that there are a lot of receivers and someone has to catch passes in Kansas City, but what if this turns into a Dallas Cowboys situation from last year where everybody catches passes in Kansas City? Dallas was the number one scoring offense last year, and CD and Amari were both startable players, but they were wide receiver twos to flex players last year. They were not the wide receiver ones that you would expect from the number one scoring offense in the league. I'm going to give you guys a quick rundown of the passing splits in Kansas City for week one. Let me start out by pointing out the fact that none of the receivers or running backs had over 21% of the target share. So coming in at the highest percent of the target share was the tight end Travis Kelsey at 23%. Now that resulted in 26.1 fantasy points. 
And the next closest receiving target was Juju Smith-Schuster, and he came in at a respectable 21% of the target share, but that only resulted in 11.9 fantasy points, which is over a 14-point difference between Juju at 21% and Kelsey at 23%. Now, following Juju, you had Nicole Hardman at 15% of the target share, MVS at 10%, and then the running backs, Jarek McKinnon had 10% of the target share, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire had 8 To put that in perspective for you guys, last year, Tyreek Hill had a 25% target share in this offense, and Kelsey had a 21% target share. The next highest receiver as far as target share goes was McCole Hardman, and he had a 13% target share. That was the third highest on the team, guys, was 3%. Patrick Mahomes was clearly hyper-targeting Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, and I can't blame him. Now, Juju had a much higher target share than McCole Hardman, but the gap between Juju and Mikol is nothing compared to between Tyreek and Mikol. While I believe that Juju will be a respectable flex play for you every week or every other week, I, I don't see him being this world beater that you want to have on your team that you feel comfortable starting in your wide receiver one or wide receiver two spot every week. Now, the running splits, I think, is where most people are going to be fooled. Clyde Edwards-Alaire had a great fantasy week one, and I know that there's been a lot of talk about, oh, well, his only competition is Isaiah Pacheco. This is the year. Clyde Edwards-Alaire is going to break out this year because if he doesn't, he's done. Well, I've got some news for you. It might not be as clear-cut as you think. So going through the breakdowns, I'll go through snap percentages first. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, 39%. Isaiah Pacheco, the presumed backup is 23% of the snaps, and Jarek McKinnon, the presumed third down back, played on 39% of the snaps. Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Jarek McKinnon both played on the same percentage of snaps. Now, when it comes to rushing attempts, Clyde Edwards-Alaire had 26% of the rushing attempts, Isaiah Pacheco had 44% of the rushing attempts, and Jarek McKinnon had 15%. Isaiah Pacheco had the highest percentage of rushing attempts, But as far as these stats go, I'm not really concerned about that. I think you can throw that out of the window. Isaiah Pacheco got most of his rushing attempts in the fourth quarter when the game was put away. (laughs) Trust me, this game was put away very early. What I would like to point out is that Clyde Edwards-Alaire had seven attempts rushing and Jarek McKinnon had four attempts rushing. Not to mention Jarek McKinnon had a higher target share than Clyde Edwards-Alaire did. With the rushing attempts really not being that different and the targets leaning more in favor of Jarek McKinnon, it really makes you wonder, is there a standout clear-cut number one back in Kansas City? I think the running back situation might be more mixed up than the fantasy scores indicate. And if Clyde Edwards-Alaire didn't score two touchdowns and Jarek McKinnon scored one, maybe even both of those touchdowns, I think this week the number one waiver ad is Jarek McKinnon. And I think that people are losing their minds over Clyde Edwards-Alaire asking if Jarek McKinnon's going to be the Kansas City. We are going to move on to our final overreaction of the week, and that is that the Packers cannot survive without Devontae Adams. So obviously the Packers had a terrible game this week. Rodgers posted a 22 out of 34 for 195 stat line, which is a 65% completion percentage and 5.7 yards per attempt. He had zero touchdowns and one interception for a grand total of 3.7 fantasy points. 
Now, there are a couple of interesting things to consider here. The first is that Christian Watson dropped what would have been an easy 75-yard touchdown pass from Rodgers. With that factored into Rodgers' numbers, this is what a stat line would have looked like. 23 out of 34 for 270 yards, a touchdown, an interception. That would be a 68% completion percentage and 7.9 yards per attempt. While it wouldn't have saved his fantasy day, I think we would all look at those numbers and be like, wow, those are respectable. Nothing special, but respectable. We wouldn't be raising the flag quite as much as we are right now. Last season, the Packers suffered an even more embarrassing loss than they did this week, and then they went on to win their division. That game, they lost to the Jameis Winston-led Saints 38-3. In that game, Rodgers was 15 out of 28 for 133 yards, zero touchdowns, and two interceptions. That is a 54% completion percentage and 4.8 yards per attempt. You will notice that those numbers are worse than the stat line that Rodgers posted this week. Devontae Adams played in that game and had five catches for 56 yards. He did not save that offense. We also need to consider that the Packers were missing significant pieces on offensive, including pieces on their offensive line. They're missing what is presumed to be their number one receiver in Alan Lazard. Also, a lot of these pass catchers on their team are rookies. They're talented, but they're rookies. They're going to need time to get up to game speed. Additionally, the Vikings were expected to be good this year. I think a lot of us, especially Jordan, bought into that. They weren't the Saints. The Saints put 38 points on them, and no one really expected much out of the Saints last year with the transition from Drew Brees. The fact that the Vikings won this game isn't a huge surprise, considering we expected them to be good. But let's look at the defense. While Justin Jefferson had a phenomenal game, The Packers defense made some great adjustments at halftime and helped the Vikings to only six second half points. This was never more than a three score game, despite the stat sheet looking a little bit more lopsided. Another talented skill player, Dalvin Cook, only had 20 carries for 90 yards. They held Minnesota's second best pass catcher, Adam Thielen, to three catches for 36 yards. So you look at this, you compare it to maybe an Arizona Cardinals And you have to feel a little bit better about the Packers' odds of rebounding versus the Cardinals. The Cardinals got 44 points tacked onto them. Their offense looked inept. At least the Packers' defense looked like they were responsive to change. This slow start isn't out of the realm of question for what we're used to seeing from them. And Aaron Rodgers is the two-time reigning MVP. So let's settle down on the panic here and give Rodgers another week or so to really show us who he is because I don't think he's going to disappoint the Packers fans out there. I would expect him to rebound next week, especially playing the Bears, and to prove all the doubters wrong like he always does. Yeah, you know, I'd I'd love to see that being an Aaron Jones investor myself. So if the Packers pull that together, I I would have no complaints about it, especially with the Cowboys not being any threat of burning into them in the playoffs this year. So that just sounds like a win-win for everyone involved. All right, so those might be some overreactions that maybe you shouldn't buy into for week one, but here are some things that you should buy into for week one, and that's the studs and duds of the week. So we'll jump in with RJ's stud, and then we'll get his dud, and then we'll go through my studs and duds as well. So RJ, you want to take us away? Who's your stud of the week? This one will be much to the chagrin of Blake Watson because Jordan Robbins snatched this guy right underneath him. But Justin Jefferson has to be your stud for the week with 39.4. Oh, so bad. 
<laughs> yeah, I know it hurts, Blake. Oh. I know it hurts. But with 39.4 fantasy points per week, I'm sorry. I'm This is going to hurt even more as I go through this. Justin Jefferson posted the most fantasy points of any other player in PPR this week. He had nine receptions oh, for 184 yards and two touchdowns. That's a 34.4% target share. And for some additional context out there, last year, Jefferson was third in the NFL with a 28% target share. He went on to finish as a wide receiver for that year. So if he keeps up this pace, a wide receiver one finish is, is the only solution here. While his nine receptions were awesome, he was only 13th in the league with 11 targets. So despite not being a top 10 player, he still finished as the wide receiver one when it came to targets. And other positive things to take note of. With Thielen's increasing age, he's now 32. The lack of significant targets he received in what was pretty lopsided in terms of like the game script, which was four, and lack of red zone targets that he's used to seeing. He only had one of those compared to three for Jefferson. There is only room for, for Jefferson to go out from here. He is an absolute stud this week. And Blake, again, I am very sorry that you have to watch this on a weekly basis. Yeah, you know uh, how they say it hurts a lot less to rip the bandaid real quick? Well, having him drafted out right from underneath me was like ripping the bandaid off. But then having to watch him play the entire season is like ripping a whole new bandaid off, but ripping it off super slow and it's super painful. But I, I appreciate you bringing him up and naming him your stud of the week to remind me of what I missed out on. There's a good chance this won't be the last time he's a stud of the week, but we'll move on to the dud of the week. I feel compelled to include this guy as a dud because I hyped him last week. There are a lot of caveats with this one, but my dud of the week is Cole Komet. Cole had zero catches. He only had one target. If you're good at math, you would probably translate that zero catches into zero yards and zero touchdowns. A big old zero burger. It's a big old goose egg. So I feel personally responsible for this one. I know I recommended Raj pick him up. I, I feel like I need to take some ownership here. But as we've talked about a little bit with the San Francisco 49ers, there are a couple things we should take into account here. First off, it was a monsoon. Second off, Fields only attempted 17 passes for the Bears. He completed only eight of those passes. Of the eight completions, four went to running backs and none went to tight ends. So when it comes to looking overall at things, it looks more of a product of the situation in that particular game than overall for Cole Komet. And then another interesting note that I found that we should take count of is Fred Warner was the primary defender on Komet on the routes he ran. Back in 2020, Fred Warner ranked as the number four player in coverage by Next Gen Stats. And that's number four player in coverage inclusively. So as a middle linebacker competing against defensive backs, he was number four in coverage. So Komet saw a great blanket linebacker it was a monsoon. He's got to be a dud of the week, but I wouldn't panic too much on Cole Komet. I think there are greener pastures ahead, but I got to take some ownership here. I'm uh, I'm not panicking too much on Cole Komet. That's because I didn't roster it. We'll go ahead and move on to my studs and duds of the week. So RJ went with the stud wide receiver, and like, like every good fantasy player, I will instead go with the stud running back of the week. And how could your stud of the week not be Saquon Barkley? That's right. Saquon Barkley looks like he's back, guys. He dropped 30.4 fantasy points. He, he had 18 rush attempts for 164 yards. That's 9.1 yards per attempt. And in the receiving game, man, Brian Dable took care of him. He went six for seven for 30 yards. 
just to show how important Saquon is going to be to this New York Giants offense that will hopefully be revived. Well, not if you're a Cowboys fan, but if you're a fantasy player, it will hopefully be revived under Brian Dable. Saquon Barkley got 78.3% of rushes, and he got one-third of all of the targets in the entire offense from the running back position. To put in perspective how much of a share that is, that's the number one target share in the league for running backs. And that's tied for the seventh largest target share in the league for all pass catchers. The only guys ahead of him, and stop me if you've heard any of these names, are Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown, Tyree Kill, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Cooper oh, I know Cup, that one. And Justin I'll Jones. stop you on that one. The Donovan Peoples-Jones? Yeah. He... <laughs> Sorry, that was a, that was a poorly timed joke, but that that's a weird inclusion. I just feel they need to take note of that. That one, uh, he might not be as impressive as the other guys, but who knows? Maybe Donovan Peoples Jones, DPJ, as we like to call him, is a he's a breakout candidate for this year. But the point being, all those guys are stud wide receiver ones on some of the better offenses in football, and Saquon Barkley only has a smaller target share than that handful of elite receivers. Also, one of Saquon's best characteristics as a running back is his explosiveness and his ability to break off long runs, which is something we just haven't seen from him in the past two years. Well, don't worry about that anymore because he broke off a 68-yard run on Sunday, and he looked electric. That explosiveness is the vintage Saquon that we came to expect when we saw Saquon get drafted number two overall. Running backs never drafted two overall unless you're a freak of nature, and Saquon is. Now, I understand that maintaining this level of efficiency is impossible throughout the rest of the year, but even if Saquon maintains, oh, I don't know, 60% of that efficiency, he is going to be a major producer for your fantasy team. Even in round two, there's a chance he might be the steal of the draft. Now, for my dud of the week, I'm still sticking with the running back position, and I'm going to rub a little salt in the wound of my week one opponent, Ethan Woods. Cam Akers has to be your dud of the week if you're looking at the running back. His ADP was to be drafted in the fifth round of your fantasy draft. I know he fell a lot in the professional football league draft, but you still invested significant draft capital if you're Ethan Woods at a spot where you could have gotten a wide receiver three or a solid flex player, but instead you got Cam Akers. Now, in perspective, how abysmal his week was, he scored zero fantasy points. No, he wasn't injured, and yes, he did play. He got three carries. Three carries. His backfield mate, his rushing mate, Darrell Henderson, had 13 carries. But Cam Akers went three for zero. His receptions were zero because he had zero targets, which means zero yards. That's a lot of zeros. Now his running mate, Darrell Henderson, had 13 rushes for 47 yards. And while that may be 3.6 yards per carry, which isn't necessarily stellar, it's still better than zero. Darrell Henderson also had five targets, which he caught all of, but only put up 26 yards. Look, I get that Darrell Henderson's not efficient, That might mean that there's a chance for Cam Akers to establish some ground in this backfield. But from the looks of week one, it's not looking good for Cam Akers in L.A. The most alarming thing, I think, when it comes to Cam Akers is Sean McVay's quote after this week one loss, saying that he wants to see an increased level of urgency and accountability snap in and snap out. 
That was reported by Sarah Bishop from ESPN. And that's a quote that's coming directly from his head coach, the guy in charge of his playing time for the rest of the season. So if you're rostering Cam Akers, you can't really be having an easy feeling. Yes, you don't want to overreact, but you also don't want to get out too late. I agree. It's not time to, to completely panic on Cam Akers. However, I would be a little surprised if he lives up to that ADP of the fifth round. I think it's more likely he ends up being in a true timeshare and a spot starter at best, question mark? <laughs> it's a big question mark. So looking ahead to week two, let's see which team is rising up our ranking board and which team is falling. RJ, take us away. Our riser of the week is Mr. Matthew Beicher. Beicher checked in at number eight in our post-draft rankings. What we saw this week is that his studs can carry the load. Cup posted at 31.8 fantasy points, and Travis Kelsey posted 26.1, both living up to their hefty draft capital. What we targeted as the biggest concern for this team, which was the running back situation, looks a lot clearer. Saquon posted his 33.4 fantasy points. A.J. Dillon had 20.1 in what was a terrible game for the Green Bay Packers. And Naheem Hines even contributed a nice flex-worthy 11.4 fantasy points. What's really impressive about Matt's week is that he managed to put up 142 points despite really bad weeks from Rodgers, who had 3.7 points. T. Higgins, who had 4.7, and Darnell Moody, who had 1.8. Overall, it was a great week one for Matt, and it shows that this team is capable of winning despite being kind of top-heavy. The depth is still a concern. Matt had seven roster spots score below 10 points, but it is nice to know that you've got those reliable studs who can produce enough to make up for that. I'm not sure if we can count on that great production and consistent production each and every week, but this has shown us enough for us to admit that we were a bit too low on Matt's ranking squad, and we're going to bump him up a few notches in our next power rankings. Yeah, I'm going to chalk this up as an unofficial win for me, calling that Saquon will look good and picking Matt to be higher in the power rankings than where we may have had him. Hey, hey, hey. Reality, I, I said, I said last in our, in our game previews last week, I said, if Saquon's going to have a good week, it's week one. I've had, I've got a healthy skepticism. I think he's explosive. The health is still the question mark for me. I guess the jury might still be out on Matt's team for the season long projection, but I'm going to take my small little victory laps where I can get him. The downside for Matt is that he ran into a wagon of a team this week in Robin's birds. And despite scoring the third highest points on the week, he he still took the L for start of his season. I think that will be one of very few losses that he'll be taking moving forward. We'll move on to our follower of the week. RJ, you might want to mute your audio. Our follower Give it of the to week me. I'm ready. is my co-commissioner, Frederick Beecher. That's right. RJ was our third ranked team based off our post-draft rankings. But after taking a look at his wide receiver situation, it might be time to maybe reassess where he is as far as not being a top three team in the league. Now, that being said, he had Allen Robinson and Mike Williams, who one, we know is a risk in Allen Robinson, but he's coming over to a new offense where he could thrive later. And Mike Williams, you know what you're getting into when you draft him. You're going to have some weeks where he scores you three points, and you're going to have some weeks where he scores you 33 points. That being said, the wide receiver situation this week netted RJ 0.2 points from Allen Robinson and three points from Mike Williams. 
with a grand total between the two of them of six targets. The good news for RJ is that his running back situation is really strong. The downside for RJ is you're probably only starting three running backs max on the week. His wide receiver two position is going to be a point of concern. He can always use Mike Evans to anchor his wide receiver one position and then figure out his wide receiver two and flex on a week-by-week basis. But banking on Mike Evans, or if you wanted to throw Jerry Judy in there as your wide receiver two, you're holding your breath every week as far as injuries go. Mike Evans has not been known as the uh, picture-perfect example of health. Again, it's still early, and you kind of knew what you were getting into drafting this wide receiver core. RJ, I don't think you're overreacting over there, but do you feel like you're the third best team at this point in the season? I think it's hard to really evaluate after a one one week. It's unfortunate that Allen Robinson and Mike Williams decided to to do me dirty like this on the same week. I think we could have overcome it as a team. We could have huddled together and overcome one of them, but both really hurt. It's encouraging to know that Jerry Judy decided to put up 20 points on my bench. Most of my bench players actually put up very respectable numbers this week. So I like the depth. I feel very comfortable with the depth. Hopefully greener pastures are ahead for these two guys. I think we're going to be okay as a team. I I don't think we're number three. I'll be honest. I don't think we're number three right now. We got to do some internal introspection and make sure, you know, we know who we are as a team, but we're going to be okay. I I have a feeling uh, Evans is enough to anchor us. Jerry Judy can be our wide receiver too. If he continues to see the same night he had on Monday of this week, we'll be okay. Not pressing the panic button yet. That's right. And it's always important. We point to know, it's not time to overreact just because you had one bad week. And it's important to not get too high on your horse if you have a really great week in week one. So take everything with a grain of salt for now. And I guess just look ahead to week two and week three. And if Mike Williams is still only using you half a fantasy point per game, then you pivot then, right? Correct. And we've got a nice shootout. Yeah. Time for Chargers, Chargers first can see. Yeah. Mikey Boy's going to score some touchdowns for me. I have a feeling. By the time this podcast comes out, you're either going to look really, really smart or you're going to look really, really dumb. Well, since we're on the topic of games this week, why don't we jump into our week two matchups? Before we do that, real quick, wanted to go ahead and, and keep a tally of how Blake and I are doing on our predictions. I'm currently sitting at three and two. Blake is at two and two because he would not make an election on his own game last week. Blake, do you want to walk us through our first matchup? Yeah, so we'll go ahead and walk through our first matchup of the week. We have the Ghost Commissioner versus Risky Business Incorporated. Looking at RJ's side, you have incredible running back strength, as we mentioned before, with Jonathan Taylor and Joe Mixon. That's certainly no duo to scoff at. You have some wide receiver two questions. I assume RJ is going to be starting Mike Evans in his wide receiver one position. So after that, you've got to figure out who he's going to turn to. The good news for RJ is that There are so many favorable matchups that he has this week. His quarterback, Russell Wilson, is playing the Houston Texans. Jonathan Taylor against Jacksonville. Joe Mixon against a shell of itself Dallas defense. Jerry Judy, the stack with Russell Wilson, also playing against Houston. And Mike Williams should look to rebound in a nice shootout against Kansas City, as we just mentioned. I think this week's going to provide a really good litmus test for RJ. When it comes to Mike Williams, Allen Robinson, and Justin Fields, I think you'll get to see them in better conditions than they were in week one. Mike Williams in a shootout, Allen Robinson playing not top three defense in the NFL, and Justin Fields playing on land instead of in the ocean. For Christian Risk, 
Christian has a well-rounded running back stable, DeAndre Swift and James Conner. That's a nice pairing of high upside and high floor. His wide receivers are now a little bit questionable thanks to the Dak Prescott injury. C.D. Lamb, I don't know that we know what to expect for C.D. Lamb with Cooper Rush, but I think we can expect that it's not going to be great. His team is built for a high floor, though, so even if C.D. disappoints, this team's not going to beat itself. This team's not going to fold over and just put up a dud for the entire week. Brandon Cooks has too high of a floor. Darren Waller is a pretty safe tight end. Rashad Bateman is the number one on his team playing in Chris's flex position. So while the matchups might not be as favorable as RJ's team, don't expect this team to roll over. This week's going to be a good litmus test on Chris's side for Trey Lance, who's also no longer playing in the middle of a hurricane, and CeeDee Lamb to see what that Dallas offense is going to look like without Dak. Now, if I'm going to have to pick a winner for this game, I'm going to go with RJ. I think there's just too many favorable matchups for his players. I think that there's a real shot that this team puts up the, the league high this this week. And my bold prediction, I think they could put up over 175 points just based off these matchups alone. RJ, what's your prediction for this matchup? Last week, I was modest and I picked Fuller and I was right. But I think I may have given myself some bad juju. So this week, I'm going to pick myself. We're going to hopefully realign the juju. All right. Well, those picks are officially locked in. You can get in on the betting line. It is opening at zero and a half because you should always bet responsibly. And betting on your own fancy football teams is certainly not the most responsible thing to do for your financial well-being, as well as your mental and emotional well-being. Our next matchup is two defenses, one cup against Team E.T. Woods. There's a lot of parallels with this matchup. We've got Chase v. Higgins. We've got Cut v. Stafford. We've got Barkley v. McCaffrey. Looking at Beicher's side, Aaron Rodgers should come into this game with a nice chip on his shoulder. Remember, he owns them. Barkley will look to run wild on the Panthers, who just gave up 141 yards to Nick Chubb. Lock him in as a top five, potentially even a top three play this week. If Higgins can't go, I am very concerned about Matt's depth here. Theoretically, he would need to start Naheem Hines, who produced respectable numbers last week. Okay for a flex, still a little bit more concerning. We've got Cup against Atlanta and LA needing a good bounce back. We've got Kelsey against the Chargers, which might be the game of the week. Those two are poised to be themselves. They're going to be studs here. Really like what I've seen on Matt's side outside of uh, the potential output of Higgins. Looking over at Woods, Brady looked a little rusty, and Todd Bowles wants to run the football. We saw that against the Cowboys. It may be time to start viewing Brady as a QB too. I say that he's going to throw for 400 yards because I said it though. There are some concerns for CMC this week. The Giants just held Derrick Henry in check. If CMC doesn't get involved on the passing game, I am a little concerned for his output on the week. Now I'm going to assume that Ethan's going to start Clyde Edwards-Alaire and not Cam Akers. Clyde will be a gamble as Blake has hit on, but the risk is worth the reward with a 54 point line on that game. I think Chase is going to put up good numbers, but there is the possibility he gets game scripted out of this one because I do expect the Bengals to run away. There's the gamble, but Chase is a stud. Look for him to score his points early. And if the game gets out of hand, don't expect the, the point total to continue to go up. My pick here is Beicher. There are some, some questions on Wood's side that make me a little bit more uncomfortable. And I, I really do like what I'm seeing on the matchup front for Matt. Blake, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to go with Beicher on this one as well. As you pointed out, there are a lot of similarities between the teams. To me, 
Ethan's team looks kind of like a discount version of Beicher's team where you have Kyle Pitts to his Travis Kelsey and you have Jamar Chase to his Cooper Cup. Like you said, there are a lot of parallels. Obviously, Ethan runs away with the Christian McCaffrey versus Saquon Barkley one. But I think maybe the most underrated matchup here is Christian Kirk versus Amari Cooper. I think Christian Kirk has the real potential to be a wide receiver, too, for fantasy. He's the number one receiver over there in Jacksonville. And he's getting a lion's share of the target percentage. He had 12 targets last week. I think if we see Christian Kirk keep up that kind of production he's going to play a significant role for Matt moving forward. Go ahead, give me Matt in this one, because I think Christian Kurtz surprises people and helps boost Matt, give him that little extra push to the win. So let's go ahead and jump into game three of the week. This one, we have Jordan Robbins or Robbins Birds versus Team Breezeless with their team owner, Raj Landry. Looking at Jordan's side, obviously the Keenan Allen injury is a concern. Alvin Kamara not living up to the hype or his expected production is concerning. And then Jordan's depth, I wouldn't classify it as the deepest in the league. I still think that this team's really, really dominant, though. If you look at the Justin Jefferson and Kirk Cousins stack, that's going to be really tough to beat, no matter who you're starting against them every week. You know, Justin Jefferson was so wide open last week that if you just looked at some of the camera shots on there, you'd think he was in pregame warm-ups just walking around the field on his own. Also, Joe Burrow, and he's certainly not going to play worse than he did last week against this Cowboys defense. Look for a bounce back game from Joe Burrow. On Raja's side, Raja's already been by the injury bug a little bit. You got Dak Prescott, who's obviously out for four to eight weeks, depending on if you ask Jerry Jones or if you ask someone who is reasonable and has a functioning brain. Nick Chubb, though, was he was a bright last week. He produced and put up some good numbers against Carolina defense even with Kareem Hunt still producing as well. So that two-headed running attack, it'll provide some viable weeks for Raj. And his wide receiver situation may be better than we initially thought. Deontay is still a target hog. He came away with 12 targets last week, which targets equal points, meaning Deontay is going to be another PPR machine. And Terry McLaurin might not be as bad off as we thought with Carson Wentz looking more like his MVP candidacy season than his Indianapolis season. So we'll see. We'll keep an eye on that receiving situation. At the end of the day, I still think that Jordan's team is a little bit too dominant for Raj. I think there's too much star power and too high of the floor. The only way I see Raj pulling the upset is if his receivers break out, but the running back situation is really dicey with Najee being less than 100%. You don't really know what to expect from him on a running attack that already looked pretty inefficient in week. RJ, who you got? Yeah, you got to go with Jordan here, especially when you think about that that Justin Jefferson, Kirk Cousins stack this week against a Philadelphia Eagles defense that just got shredded by the Detroit Lions. That stack's going to pay off. Raj, I mean, we don't even know who he's starting as his second quarterback with Dak out. I know he he had a claim in for Carson Wentz. It didn't work out for him. So we got we to gotta figure that spot out. But yeah, this, this week's been tough for Raj with the injuries. It, the pick's got to go to Jordan. We're going to jump into our next matchup. This one is a good one. We got Blake Watson against Drew Coolis. With a glance at Blake's team, we see that Minnesota held Aaron Rodgers in check last week, but Hertz's rushing floor makes him a weekly top five play. He had 90 rushing yards last week. Don't be overly concerned with him going up against Minnesota. 
Expect a huge PPR week from Austin Eckler this week and what should be a shootout. His floor, as always, should be fairly safe for Eckler. I think he's going to bounce back, probably score a touchdown or two in this one. Now, it's hard to really predict the Vikings defense based off of the wide receiver core that they just went up against. So this will be a great test for A.J. Brown and for, for Jalen Hurts' ability to push downfield consistently against a team that's not the Lions. I think it's going to work out for AJ. Like we talked about, Christian Watson almost had that 75-yard touchdown. That could be Brown this week, and he will catch that football. Furthermore, we've got great matchups for Michael Pittman against Jacksonville, Cortland Sutton against Houston, and his defense against Jacksonville. The biggest concern here are at the tight end spot, and the Superflex Winston against Tampa Bay is a little bit more concerning for me due to the fact that Tampa Bay's defense is pretty darn good. I would be a little bit more shaky on that one than I would be normally. For Drew, we've got potentially the sneaky underrated game of the week of Baltimore against Miami that's heavily featured throughout his lineup. I think that game's going to be great. I think it's going to be close. So expect Lamar, Mark Andrews, and Hill to put up points as those teams continue to battle throughout the game. This is a great bounce back opportunity for Dalvin Cook against the Eagles because they just got absolutely shredded by DeAndre Swift to the tune of 144 rushing yards. Until Brian Robinson gets back, Gibson looks to have a nice RB2 floor with Wentz because Wentz is actually passing him the football. That's something we haven't seen out of the commanders in recent seasons with Gibson. That's what we want to see here. This is a good matchup for Matt Ryan, but so was last week. And he didn't really light the world on fire when it came to fantasy. So I'm not reading too much into that matchup. The biggest questions here are DJ Moore. Baker struggled a little bit last week. The Browns have a decent defense but more really wasn't able to get much going there. And he has a spot that just seems like he it's unsure what he wants to do with it. I don't even know what he would do with it with that open flex spot. Those two big questions, I think, outweigh the questions that I have for Blake at the tight end spot and for the super flex. So my pick here is for Watson, but this game I think will be incredibly close. Blake, you want to give yourself a, a shout out here? What do you think is going to happen? Well, I think first and foremost, Drew is a excellent fantasy manager, and it's an honor to get to line my team up across from him on the monitor this weekend. I think I'll be sweating this one out till Monday night, but I think come Tuesday morning, I'll be cool, calm, and collected and enjoying a nice W. While Drew is a great fantasy manager, and, and I respect him very much, I just I don't see his team keeping up with the firepower of Jalen Hurts in this receiving core. So I'm going to go ahead and pencil in a 2-0, my record column. Moving on to our final matchup that we're going to mention and our game of the week, which, by the way, we're one for one on calling game of the week, picked Chris and Drew last week. I don't know if you guys saw, but that game was decided by 0.48 points. Again perhaps the most heartbreaking and exhilarating game of the entire year. But our game of the week this week is going to be the Creepy Cave and Comeback Kids versus Waffle House Bankruptcy. Looking at Fuller's side, I think Fuller can expect that Derrick Henry will be looking for a bounce-back game. However, that bounce-back game is going to have to come against Buffalo on a Monday night. Javante has a favorable matchup against Houston. That's Javante Williams. Debo Samuel is playing against Seattle. And Amonra St. Brown is playing against Washington. I believe that all of these are favorable matchups. These games are going to tell us a whole lot. Like if we see Javante get 12 targets again, that's part of the game plan and not just a week one fluke. 
I also want to see if a Monrock can be a consistent player and is someone that you can trust to put in your wide receiver two, wide receiver one spot week in and week out. So it's going to be a big week for Pollard to look for that. Patrick Mahomes is going to do Patrick Mahomes things in a shootout against the Los Angeles Chargers. Any big game with fireworks, you can always expect that Patrick Mahomes will rise to the challenge and provide fireworks of his own. Looking at Costa's side, last week proved that the double stack is lethal. Buffalo went off with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs showing that they still have an excellent connection. And Derek Carr and Devontae Adams reuniting, throwing it back to their days back in the dorms at Fresno State. It's translated really, really well to their time together in Las Vegas. Look for that matchup to either make or break Michael's week again. The running backs will obviously be a problem. Michael won the waiver lottery of the week, picking up Jeff Wilson from the 49ers backfield. We'll have to see if Jeff Wilson, the workhorse role, kind of like Elijah Mitchell took last year or if he's going to be in a running back by committee. One thing that I want to point out is that Michael is starting Juju Smith-Schuster, who is the number one wide receiver in Kansas City, maybe. So that clearly limits the upside of starting Patrick Mahomes in the lineup if you're fuller. I'm going to go ahead and go with a little bit of an upset in my opinion but I think Michael will pull out a win. Despite the bleak running back situation, I think that the pass catches are too much for Fuller to keep up with. I think that that stack is going to have an excellent week again with Buffalo playing against Tennessee and Las Vegas playing against Arizona. Neither of those have stellar secondaries. I think Juju will catch a touchdown, maybe two touchdowns this week, which again will look the upside of Mahomes as Juju's going to get two more points for each of those touchdowns than Mahomes will get. And I don't think that Derrick Henry is going to get back on track versus Buffalo. While I do think he's going to get back on track in the future, I don't think that this is the game that you can expect to see that. I also don't think that you'll see repeat performances out of Waddle and Amon Ross St. Brown. I think the fantasy receivers, I just think that it's going to be a little bit more of a roller coaster than just a steady 15 to 20 fantasy points a week. Because of that, I'm going to go ahead with Michael. The final point I want to make is that because this is a game that Fuller probably should win, you can almost guarantee that it's going to be a loss. RJ, what are your feelings on this game? Yeah, I'm taking Fuller in this one. I'm really concerned about the running back situation for Michael, and I don't think we can expect the stack to be quite as good as it was last week. I think we saw what Derek Carr is last week. He's not any different just because he has Devontae. It's very similar to the, you know, the really great Waller seasons we had. So while he did hyper-target Devontae, I, I just don't think that Derek is himself is going to be amazing week in and week out. And Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs will, will produce. Obviously, Josh Allen was Michael's first-round pick. He should. But I don't think 30 points should be the standard for each week. I'm not sure. We'll, I know the, the matchup's great here. I do feel like, though, that this one, I think those numbers are going to come down to earth a little bit, and the Zeke's probable low output, unless they the Cowboys actually commit to running him because he was the only player on offense that looked good outside of Dalton Schultz last week. The running back situation scares me enough into picking Fuller, so I'm, I'm going Fuller on this one. Well, that is a wrap on our Week 2 preview. We did want to quickly hit on just a couple of concerns we had into Week 2, and then our best plays for week two. We've got one person on each of those. I'm going to throw it back over to Blake with his first concern. And then Blake, feel free to jump straight into your best play as well. My biggest concern for the week is the Dallas offense. I'm going to take some low hanging fruit here and just point out that 
they lost their starting quarterback. Also, I don't know if anyone here is a downer or has been paying attention to the news, but they're also without our all-pro left tackle, Tyron Smith. It's looking pretty bleak in Dallas. I don't think I have to go into much more detail other than the fact that Mike McCarthy is still, unfortunately, their head coach. I wouldn't expect anything stellar from the Dallas offense this week and really moving forward, but we're, we're just going to address it as a week two problem and then pretend that the rest of the season doesn't exist. As a Cowboys fan, would you trade C.D. Lamb to the Green Bay Packers for a first-round pick? Oh, man, that's a really tough question. No, only because I believe that if C.D. Lamb were to go to Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers had a real receiving threat, that that first-round pick wouldn't return C.D.'s value. I think if you could guarantee me that Green Bay was going to go 3-14 and 14 or even 4-13, and 13, I would say that – it would be worth it because we could turn that into a stud left tackle or start rebuilding our offensive line. But if we're going to be picking at the back end of that first round, I just don't think that it's worth it. CD looked really bad last week. Like he, he looked really, really bad. So if someone came knocking with a first round pick, I, I feel like you at least got to listen to it. My best play of the week is probably going to surprise a lot of people. I'm going to go with Brandon Ayuk, wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers. He's playing against Seattle this week. I know I touched a little bit on Brandon Ayuk earlier in the podcast, but I just want to point out he played 99% of Francisco snaps. I don't know if I've said that enough, but 99% is a lot. Last year, his biggest problem when it came to fantasy production was not being on the field because he was in the doghouse with Kyle Shanahan. 99% of the snaps tells me he's gained Kyle Shanahan's trust and we can expect him to be on the field a whole lot. Additionally, reports are that Ayuk and Lance are really close. They've become friends. I'm not going to liken this to the Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup connection, but the reports out of training camp are that Ayuk could be Lance's number one target. Now, take that with a grain of salt. It is Trey Lance throwing him the ball. We don't really know what to expect from a guy who's barely thrown one pass a day over the last three years of playing competitive football. But it's still good to know that he could potentially be the number one receiver in this offense. Additionally, Seattle did a good job focusing on Cortland Sutton and forcing Denver to find the second receiving option for Russell Wilson on Monday Night Football. That allowed for a big fantasy week for wide receiver two, or supposed wide receiver two, Jerry Judy, and a huge target share for the running back and Devontae Williams. Look for Seattle to go ahead and take away Debo Samuel as well. Just try to remove him from the San Francisco game plan. If that happens, then Trey Lance's options are going to be pretty limited. I think that Kyle Shanahan's going to scheme up a bunch of RPOs for him. I think Kyle Shanahan's going to scheme up a bunch of easy completions for Trey Lance to help him settle into the NFL. I think a lot of those easy completions are going to come to Brendan Ayuk, either right across the middle or on the occasional deep ball. So I'm going to go with Brandon Ayuk as my start of the week. Well, my concern of the week is the Arizona Cardinals. There are concerns from top to bottom on this team. Starting with the defense, the Cards gave up 44 points and 488 total yards to the Chiefs last week. And realistically, the Chiefs only tried for like three-ish quarters, probably more close to two. So that's just uber embarrassing there. This may provide some negative gain scripts for the Cards, which is going to limit probably the only consistent fantasy producer on this team, James Conner's upside and increasing the likelihood of Kyler forcing the ball and turning the ball over. I'm not sure if many of you saw this, but there were some people dissecting the film, 
And let's just say it's very clear that Kyler has been starting the Call of Duty very early. For week two, the Cardinals face the Raiders. They have plenty of really skilled weapons themselves. They've got Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro. Could maybe even chalk Jacobs in there, who had a decent game despite a low fantasy output in week one. And they just limited the Chargers with their great offense and Justin Herbert dissecting that defense and completing 1,000 passes to 1,000 different receivers. They held them to only 24 points. If the Cardinals don't make some drastic adjustments, this one could get out of hand too. We could be looking at a repeat performance of week one. I don't know about you, but Kyler Murray's maturity doesn't really inspire much confidence here. If the Cardinals get on too many negative game scripts, I could easily see Kyler just quitting on this team. I'm concerned about the Cardinals. I don't think that they're as well coached of a team as we thought. We've seen kind of that fading down the stretch. Like the Cardinals are the team that are supposed to, to start high. That's been the, the trademark of the Cliff Kingsbury Cardinals teams is they win like eight games and then they lose the rest of them. This team can't even start hot. Then I don't see them being able to turn things around. I think Cliff could have his job gone by the end of the year. And ultimately the, the Cardinals just using this as a washed season. And my best play for week two is Curtis Samuel of the Washington Commanders. He's going up against a Detroit Lions team that just got absolutely torched by A.J. Brown to the tune of 10 receptions for 155 yards. If any of y'all are stat keepers here, that is 25.5 fantasy points without a touchdown in week one. In week one himself, Samuel posted 11 targets and eight receptions for 55 yards and a touchdown that went along with four carries for 17 yards. Curtis Samuel looks to be Carson Wentz's favorite target on the Washington Commanders. Look for him to get involved early and often in a game that should be high scoring and should be competitive throughout. Don't be surprised if Curtis Samuel posts a nice wide receiver one or borderline wide receiver two stat line this week. Well, guys, thank you for joining us for this week one review and week two preview. I hope that your week twos aren't as depressing as Chris's was week one. And until next time, we look forward to seeing you guys again. For my co-commissioner and co-host, RJ Beecher, this is Blake Watson signing off.